0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Game Wear with me, Ashley, and...
1: Me, Chris. Hello, everyone. Hope you're okay. Hope you're okay, Ashley.
0: I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Good. I am peachy, thanks. Good, I am. All right, Yoda. Is that what I said? Is that genuinely what I said? Uh, Yeah. Oh, no. I reckon, (laughs) I actually, I think you elided the two things because I think you Uh, said good. I am peachy, but you said good, I am peachy, thanks. So (laughs) Cool. I liked the delivery. It was good. Thanks. Thank you very much.
1: Any news? Anything to tell us from your week? No.
0: Not really. No. No, nothing's really happened. Has anything happened with you? I mean, that's nice in itself. A very uneventful week. True. Um,
1: No, nothing. Nothing of note. Nothing of interest.
0: Very nice. We're living the life.
1: I, I know. Yeah. Good Good content. Good podcast content.
0: Got Splatoon 3 today. Hey, there's there is some that, games news. Cool. But barely played it. At the moment, because I had to come and do this, but it's good so far. It's pretty fun, yeah. I didn't know what I was going to make to it, but it's um, it's not bad at all. a Bit frantic and zany, and quite different in feel to the way that other shooting games work, as you can well imagine, because it's about hoiking paint across a level. Oh, I'll tell you what, as well. I'm only, I'm only level four, and. The variety of weapons that are already available to me is pretty cool. Yeah? Yeah. I've seen, you've probably seen in trailers, but there's like one that's like a paint roller and you can steamroll your way across the level. That's cool. down paint at, at the same time. And then there's just guns that are like paintball guns. And there's a few different ones of those, like you can drill wield some. And then there's a bucket. I, I've been really enjoying the bucket. The bucket is just a big, well, not even a big bucket, a little bucket that you chuck tr- paint out of constantly.
1: Well, I've just realised real fun! I'm coming over to yours in a couple of weeks to record some Christmas episodes. and I, I've never played Splatoon, so I uh, might have to try some.
0: Yeah, well, that was your daughter's proposal as well. Was it? She might, <laughs> I didn't yeah, know that. she might uh, play <laughs> it when she was here. So uh, Great minds. Yeah, she, she said that she likes the look of it, but that um, she's never played it. And I and I was like, that's definitely a hint. Mm. And I said, well, well, maybe next time you're here and she was like Well,
1: I've uh, I realised I have played a game this week other than Lego Star Wars. I started playing Oh my gosh. Old Man's Journey. Have you played it?
0: Oh right. I've got it. I've played some of it. I was underwhelmed. Yep. I wasn't as happy with it as I thought I'd be.
1: Played it for about five minutes, and then got rid of it. It was on on Apple Arcade. But uh, yeah, I just I, ah, I, right. I just wasn't wasn't keen.
0: I think I paid less than a pound for it on the Switch. It looked very pretty. It does look very nice. And it it was trying to do something different with gameplay and puzzle design, but it's just not for me. No, I I, I didn't like the
1: interacting with the landscape like that. I found that kind of, it made it, it reminded me it was a game as opposed to a story about an old man, if that makes sense.
0: I don't understand why, because this is, I think you said that. Maybe last week or maybe the week before about um, games that m- remind. It was the week before because we did. What did we do? We did Tunic, and you were getting all hummihari about the fact that manual it's got the manual and saying, "Oh, I don't like games that remind you that they're games." But what, what? some of the best games are just games first and foremost, like Tetris. In Orban's Man's journey, has no story to tell.
1: Like, you, you're, it's the journey of an old man and he's wandering out this, this landscape, with these hills, and then he can physically drag the hills up and down to get him to go. Yeah, but it, it, And
0: I, I just didn't like that. It, it, do it, you complain about magic realism in books? For example, like if you had a book that a person talks to the ghost of their ancestor, would you be like, oh, well, that's broken it for me. I can't believe it's just reminded me that it's a fiction. No, not at all. No, exactly. So I don't understand what the issue is with games that... Play with the idea of being a game
1: because I'm a hypocrite.
0: That's just your easy way out. You think that that will save me, make me, make <laughs> me happy. Oh yeah, I've got one, got one on him. But I just want answers. <laughs> I just want understanding.
1: Uh, there, there is no understanding. That is
0: you misunderstanding me. That and the way that I work, because all I want is understanding.
1: Uh, uh, there, mm, eh.
0: there's, there's not enough love and understanding, as far as I'm concerned.
1: What between us or in in general?
0: Just to, in general, we need someone to um, heal these lonely times. I can't remember the lyrics. It is a song, for <laughs> sure. It is. I can't even remember who sings it. It's something like either Share or Oh dear, uh, Tina Turner. Won I the, think it's Share. One the Great. Not not enough love and understanding. Need someone to ease these lonely times. Not enough. Love and understanding. Oh,
1: yeah, I know what you mean now.
0: Why? Oh, why? No?
1: Tune.
0: Uh, I kind of like it, <laughs> actually. So, yeah, there you go. Um, sorry, what were we talking about? I can't remember. Games. Something about games. Cool. Should we talk about the game that I'm supposed to be talking about? Yes, this Yes, please. Okay. So this Week we will be talking about and playing this game where you undertake an epic journey across land, sea, and air to rescue your community who've been trapped by the big bad. And I've left out a key piece of in, in, um of information that I did include and then thought, no, that'll give it away. So if you need an extra,
1: yeah, I'll have to give you it. Land, sea and airs
0: throw me. Okay, this game where. Okay, so it's this game where you undertake an epic journey across land, sea, and air to rescue your community who have been trapped in crystal by the big bad. I've put it back in, you see?
1: I still don't have a clue. It's probably one of those games where when you say it's this, I'll go, oh, yeah. Oh, hang on. You will. Hang on. Is it Spyro? Whoa, hey, there
0: we go. Good save. Well done. Yeah, it's Spyro. Oh, brilliant. I've been racking my brains. You told me at the end of the episode last week that I needed to bring something that will redeem us or something. I don't know whether you meant it, but I figured that I needed to really bring something that was an actual game and that maybe we'd enjoy this evening.
1: Good choice. Sparrow 1? Yes. Okay. Uh, Weirdly, I was actually thinking about bringing, for one of my future, well, in in the near future, I was actually thinking about bringing Sparrow 2. So uh, how's that for serendipity?
0: Hmm. That is interesting. I don't know. That means it'll probably happen next week because you like to just get everything out of the way and you think no, of it as tidy no. and all that. Because
1: it's, it's Christmas no, no. soon. No, no. Th- well, the reason I was thinking about it, and um, this is the sort of thing we'd usually say in the, the second half at the end, but I'm, I'll mention it now in case I forget. I was reading an interview with a, a manager, I think it was, or Cumber who, anyway, a studio who's creating a new game called Glide, G-L-Y-D-E, which is basically... A new spyro but it's like a ah. it's an open world one it's coming to steam uh within the next couple of months i think it's going to open early access and uh, it looks really really good and it's, that tickles my pickle yeah it's uh it's essentially i mean like the gameplay the style of it it, it, it is spyro it's a new spyro so that looks yeah, quite exciting great
0: because the the reason that is good news assuming that it all works out and it's it's fantastic and a brilliant love letter to spyro or even or or and a brilliant game in its own right you yeah. know fingers crossed that all of that works out because uh, toys for bob were responsible for the creation of the um remasters the reignited trilogy is mm-hmm. that called of spyro 1 2 and 3 and fairly recently i can't remember exactly when it was this year or last uh, Toys for Bob was basically wound down in all but uh, name. Oh, I didn't know that so much. They were they were rolled into Activision's. Um, is it Call of Duty? Is Activision? Isn't it? Yeah, Call of. They were they were rolled into all of that malarkey, and now they're just like a a fodder studio, as far as I understand, working on the never ending cycle of of Call of Duty content. They're probably making guns and. Painting grass and gravel. and Yeah, I'm sure they're super happy with all that, given how things started for Toys for Bob and not. It probably pays the bills. It pays their wages, but, you know, there's... I don't actually know, because I didn't check it in, and I didn't check up for this. But I would imagine there was quite a large uh, swath of people left Toys for Bob when that happened. Potentially. Um, I'd certainly have gone... Ugh.
1: So, are we playing then the reignited version or the original PS One?
0: I said that I'd give you a choice. Uh, oh, okay. We started recording, so you can choose whichever one you want because well, I believe that you've got it on the Switch, haven't you?
1: I have, um, and yeah. and on PlayStation One actually. Uh, I think we should go. We should go pure. We should probably go. You know, as befits a retro podcast. Absolutely,
0: I'm going to be playing the first one. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to be playing the original, but I. And again, this is something that we normally talk about in the second half, but the Reignited Trilogy is an excellent, excellent mm. remaster of yeah. the original games. I I have played both recently, say again, within the last one or two years, um, fairly close together as well. So I, I know that there are differences, but I think that the differences are just enhancements. And I, I don't necessarily think that you would play the fir- the original, and come away from it going, "Oh my gosh, that is awful," mm-hmm. as opposed to the remaster being some kind of all singing, all dancing bells and whistles, beautiful camera work, um, sit- situation. I think that the feel of them is still good, even though there are some small differences, yeah, and maybe minor niggles. So, um, I will tell you this: I didn't own Spyro when I when it came out. I didn't have a PlayStation, as you know. I played this at my friend's house. He's the same friend that um, you were looking to get to play games because oftentimes he would just sit and play the demo of a thing over and over again. Or he was the same one that used to like to make the Tyrannosaurus Rex's mouth go up and down on the tech demo for the PlayStation. This is uh, the uh, Abe's the same Odyssey one friend. That had me playing. He's not the Abe's Odyssey friend. No. Oh, Okay. I can't remember last time he came up, but he has been—he has come up fairly recently. He was the one that I mentioned the uh, little pink gorilla companion oh, for yeah. Windows. Do you remember? Yeah. He was the one that would would uh, download that and play that, uh, play with that instead of playing the Nintendo sixty-four or PlayStation that he had upstairs. So <laughs> it was it was potluck whether you were going to have a fun time or Mad. a bad time. Yep. Um, It was interesting, but we played Spyro. We actually played Spyro pretty um, full on for a few weeks. And that was the first time I would played Spyro. It was, I think, just too good for him to ignore. And that's why we ended up playing it. Um, Because it really, as far as I remember, and uh, and spoilers as I've given you uh, already, I've already played it in the last year or two um it's it's fantastic it was fantastic then it was even more fantastic than i think it is now but um i then went on i don't again i don't own a playstation it's the only it's the only playstation console that i don't own the original um but i do own copies of spyro one two and three they were some of the few games off the playstation that i went back and uh bought physical copies of
1: I, I remember when we used to work together, going back to yours uh, one lunchtime. That sounds dodgy. Going back to yours one lunchtime because uh, you just bought them uh, perhaps off eBay. I can't remember. And yeah. we, is we, that right? Yeah. Yeah. And we sat and played through the first one for about 45 minutes before having to hot-foot it back to work. And that was, uh, I mean, that was, what, 11 years ago? So it was the last time I think I played the original, uh, the first I'd one. I'd forgotten that. But, but I remember. I'd a, forgotten that we did that. Great, great time doing it.
0: Yeah. The PlayStation 2 is what we played it on. And the PlayStation 2 doesn't run any of Spyro games particularly well. Even taking that into account, it um, it was uh, really fun and really nice to have them. So, yeah. Um, The game release, I've said about not having a PlayStation when it came out. It came out in uh, 1998, across September and October, depending on where you were. It was October for us in the UK as part of uh, the EU region. It was the second game made by Insomniac. The first one was called Disruptor. I had never heard of it until No, it I haven't. Heard today. No, it was a very gritty, PlayStation y feeling game that was absolutely lauded by critics. Like, they, there was a really good buzz about it, but then just never got picked up really by the public. And well, so. What was it?
1: Well, what sort of it game? It's called
0: Disruptor. Oh, it was a first person shooter, I believe, oh, but I didn't. Very I didn't do different a great to Spyro. Right? Absolutely is yeah. I didn't do a great deal of digging into it because I kept finding more interesting stuff about Spyro, so it kind of got put to the wayside. Uh, but it's called Disruptor. If you wanted to uh, go and have a little look at it in the first in the halftime,
1: most most play during a multiple ten episode. If it's uh, you know well, it has been well received, Maybe. but something that has fallen by the wayside.
0: Perhaps yeah, it was a direct influence on what happened with. Um, Spyro in two different ways because um, the team at Insomniac um, after Disruptor didn't garner the success that they were hoping for um, they started to think about what they were going to do next and they one of the developers I can't remember his name I wish I had written it down I've written everything else down but not his name uh, but one of the developers was pretty into the game the film Tra- Dragonheart Oh, if you remember that one
1: the mid 90s
0: Your face has just said that you don't like Dragonheart.
1: No, I I remember it coming out and being one of those, like, in the mid-90s, there were, films would come out, like, Ains of Kids, and it would be Everywhere, like I remember Juman- mm. Jumanji being an example of that, where mm. um, they used to be on CRTV. They they would run um, these little like five minute things where it was like behind the scenes of Jumanji and showing you how it was oh, made. Really? But basically, it was just Jumanji, Jumanji, just shoveling it down you. And there'd be like, adverts in in the Bino you know, and adverts in magazines and, and stuff. Dragonheart was one of those films. Uh, Sean Connery did the dragon, and and that's he the only, that's the only thing I know about it because I've never watched it. Because I thought it looked absolutely ass, but I remember it just being ah. everywhere.
0: I was on the complete opposite end of that uh, enjoyment spectrum. I, don't, I didn't watch the ITV, so maybe I wasn't completely um, drowned in adverts for Jumanji and Dragonheart and all the other latest hits uh, of, of the 90s but i had dragon heart on d on vhs i got it for christmas one year and watched it to death i watched it and then rewound it and watched it again and rewound <laughs> it and watched it again I, like genuinely it was one of my favorite films for for a good period and it um actually as far as i remember it's not a bad film at all but i haven't watched it since that hey you know the glory days of um of watching it on that vhs It uh had a really we a really well rendered dragon and the dragon was pretty realistic as far as I remember. Um immensely detailed CGI. Probably cost an absolute bomb. Mm. The team at Insomniac sort of looked to Dragon Heart as their initial inspiration and they were looking at making a more grown up dragon based game where you played an adult dragon that was based on this rendering of a dragon in dragon heart right um it was sony who sort of stepped in and said hey hang on um we are kind of drowning in adult games <laughs> on the playstation and things aren't looking great and genuinely things aren't looking great in terms of our competition with the n64 Nintendo nintendo's console the nintendo 64 was a was seen at the time 1998 so not too far into either console's lifespan but it was seen as a major threat. I mean, all of this seems really weird because the PlayStation absolutely trounced the N64 in the end. But uh, it was seen as a major threat. And one of its uh, the strongest link in its armor was the fact that it was a, a console that, that did family games really, really well.
1: Like your Mario, your Banjo-Kazooie, Donkey Kong, those family-friendly mostly platformers exactly. right so sony well Ste- not even
0: just mostly platformers just everything about the n64 was very geared yeah. towards the family and and uh, as a result children were clamoring to get the n64 as the family console into into the home and we talked very recently
1: and, about marketing about how sega when they released the mega drive slash genesis they aimed it at adults and then nintendo tried to jump on that a little bit with this towards the end of the snes and then n64 very much aimed at families. PlayStation aimed at again the older, more the mature boys. audience, or the big boys exactly. And then mm. Sony then said, "Actually, no, we do want a, a bit of the uh, the family action as well."
0: Sony were it's basically Sony wanting were everyone. Worried. Well, yeah, I think so. They were te- they were trying to broaden out their their um their appeal. And the big missing piece in their puzzle was um young uns and families so they were they put on a big sort of effort to attract those and part of the effort was their work with insomniac they approached insomniac and asked them for a game that was more in line with what a child and an adult uh, and a parent might play together
1: interesting and i guess as well there were in terms of mascots like n64 had obviously mario as the mascot the playstation i think probably had lara croft but not that's not the family one whereas spyro crash ends up being there to me they are completely synonymous with the playstation
0: absolutely yeah they they are as far as i am concerned like the favorite children of the uh playstation they even lara croft just doesn't really represent playstation in the way that crash bandicoot or Spyro does to me.
1: Sure, I think so. I think those are the, the Holy Trinity of PS1. They
0: they definitely are. They definitely are. But I feel like maybe because of my age at the time, because I was not particularly interested in Lara Croft, if you catch my drift. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I didn't really like Crash Bandicoot. So Spyro stands as probably the quintessential PlayStation game in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't dispute what you've said, though. I think those three games are, or could be considered, the holy trinity. Although, saying that, you've got Final Fantasy as well, so Final mm, Fantasy Seven would be, and the other end, uh, Tony Hawk's would be another part. But I think my t- my holy trinity would be for the PlayStation: Final Fantasy Seven, Spyro, and tony hawk's games they would be my like i meant those the the pinnacle the of mascots of, of that those are the
1: three mascots that i associated with playstation you wouldn't reassociate oh yeah like, absolutely you know, clouds yeah. or tony hawk with uh as as, as mascots mm. i mean
0: no not as mascots these are definitely mascot platformers aren't they yeah i take that point yeah so part of the brief was that they should make a family orientated game so they moved away from this dragon heart style uh realistic rendering of of a dragon and they started to play around with a, a more family friendly version of it the other part of the um the other part of the task that they were set was that they wanted a platformer where the enemies respond directly to the character that the, to the player and you can see that everywhere now that it's been pointed yeah, out but i didn't definitely. really think about it
1: because they, uh, act- they actively run away, or or if you like, are flaming near them, they'll sort of respond to that in like surprise or or, or something. Yeah, which I I I'd, I'd never really picked up on as being something interesting, but you're absolutely right. It is. It's quite unique.
0: Oh, it is. There's several really interesting things I think about this game. Uh, that's one of them. They, they it was PlayStation. It was Sony that asked for that. I think it might have been Mark Cerny himself that uh, asked them to to create something like that the famous or the the one that always stands out in my head response from an enemy uh, that i remember is in the desert level which i think is the second level
1: it's the second um, hub is it the one that moons at you
0: yeah the soldiers yeah. will pull their pants down and show you their asses. yeah uh, and that's one of the things and then you can burn them you can yeah. burn them on the bum which is really like a the whole sequence is really funny and silly and endearing uh to me and stands out in your mind but all of the all of the um enemies respond to you pretty much this is not the the norm for this point in time with platformers if you think about any platformers 3d or otherwise generally a an enemy is set up with a certain way of moving or way of behaving and it's it is completely independent of the player If the player comes close, they'll continue doing the same pattern of behavior and movement. Um, So actually, pretty forward thinking, pretty innovative um, from Sony and Insomniac. Um, It also broke new ground in a technical sense because it's one of the first games... If not the first, it might well have been the first, but I couldn't corroborate that completely. But it was one of the first games on the PlayStation to make use of something called Levels of Detail or LODS, which you should be familiar with. Oh, yes. Remember LODS? I do. Yeah. So this is one of the first games to use them. So for anyone that's not familiar with what lods are or what levels of detail are, um in a game or in in a 3D game on the PC or the PlayStation or anything else capable of rendering 3D in the 90s, one of the things that you might find is something called fog of war. If you've played RTSs, you'll also be familiar with fog of war because they use that to uh, obscure the map from the player before it's been explored. In a three D game, they use this fog to sort of limit the amount of stuff that needs to be rendered and displayed on the screen. And in, so, I mean, it was a big issue for some games because the fog of war would literally be in your face. Like mm-hmm. you would take a step, and and you would find that things were leering in up at you from the fog. And actually, some games used it to their um benefit like silent hill one of the things that gave silent hill its um characteristic feel and the thing that people talk about a lot of the time is the fog but the fog was a, de- a technical limitation that they played into
1: Med- medieval
0: uh, or medieval absolutely um there isn't fog of war in spyro it's again something that hadn't really occurred to me when i was playing it or or even since but in in sort of doing the research for this i found out that the reason is it was one of the first games on the playstation to use levels of detail levels of detail is a an approach that you can use where things that are far away use less resources because you render them with less polygons so they've got less detail and you might also remove their collision so that they don't the, the collision isn't um being it isn't eating a little bit of your Uh, resources and then as you move closer to those things the detail will will increase so you might end up instead of a tree having seven polygons this is random uh instead of having a a tree having seven polygons it's far off in the in the background you get all close to the tree and the tree might then uh jump to having 25 polygons and collisions so that you can run into it
1: maybe i'll see like individual Um, leaves sort of not individual but like your little Dark, darker patches, sort of make a bit detail on it, as opposed to just like a massive green texture.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and yeah, uh, that that's a fair point too. This can also apply to textures as well as uh, polygon, actual uh, polygons and so forth, uh, or, or meshes. Sorry, uh, what, um, levels that of detail, interestingly, a- applies across the spectrum of game design. Like you can have levels of detail in things outside graphics as well, um, but this is very much spyro's use of levels of detail was very much in the graphics domain and
1: uh, what's that why because the, the game is structured you've got a hub world and then like five or six worlds of small bite-sized levels you explore from that and then you go to mm-hmm. the hub world and you do that over and over then you go to a second hub world etc etc is that why they're so bite-sized because within that they they can load everything in at a at a basic level and then you're as opposed to being like a massive open world thing does that make sense
0: yeah it does make sense i guess so i i think that they did what they had the resources to do so the the levels are probably designed around limitations mm. in terms of what they could render at any one time the the levels actually were built into different levels of detail so uh this is the other aspect of it it's obviously things have moved on uh since then and certainly when um certainly sort of in 10, 10 to 15 years later, you would maybe have seen situations in games where instead of having a low level of detail and a high level of detail, you might have had LOD, LOD, you might have had LOD 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. So that over the course of 500 meters in game, the the closer you got, it would load in LOD 1, mm-hmm. then LOD 2, then LOD 3, and then LOD 7 might be the high detail or vice versa, like the other way around. Um... But Spyro, because because it was breaking new technical ground, um, certainly at least with the PlayStation, it had high detail and low detail versions of the environments that uh, and the levels. And so, if you were looking out into the distance on of the horizon, say, that would have been using the low detail maps, and yeah. then things closer to you would have been using the high detail. But yeah, one of the first games to do it. It was followed up very quickly by Crash Bandicoot Warped, which came out October November. December I think around the world and that also made use of levels of detail is that the second there or any...
1: third Crash Bandicoot game
0: you tell me I've told you I hated Crash Bandicoot
1: yeah I can't, I can't remember Tom. I, I was never that keen I, I think it's the 2nd first I'm going to mm. google it I'm the reason I'm asking is because I thought Crash and Spyro
0: came out at the same time initially
1: and clearly didn't
0: no they didn't i think crash bandicoot beat it by quite a significant um like a year i think probably if not longer um i oh, it's, interestingly yeah, Crush, like,
1: crash bandicoot 3 is what that came out in wow so it really was i've been going a while before mm, Spyro was on the scene
0: interesting one of the things that i did find out was that an early version of levels of detail was used by um a game called the killing cloud which was an adventure game of all things on the pc in 1991 wow so yeah way ahead of um when it was when it was implemented <laughs> See, on you went down a
1: little Lodge rabbit hole
0: i did a little bit but cool. it's interesting because that was a game made by imageworks and we have semi recently talked about imageworks Works uh, because they made xenon 2 oh, okay yeah so um yeah, I just thought that, that was interesting and related. So, uh, yeah. We've, we've talked a bit about Crash Bandicoot. I didn't expect him to come up because I've written the line, um, Spyro shares some DNA with the PlayStation's other favorite son, Crash Bandicoot. Because he does. Um, the same designer that designs Crash Bandicoot also designed Spyro. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's Charles Zembilis, And um, apparently he knocked out the Spyro design in a day and a half. Wow. Yeah, pretty pretty swift worker. On top of that, the same voice actor did the voices for Tr- Crash Bandicoot and Spyro initially.
1: That's, that's also pretty cool.
0: So that's Carlos Alazraki. Carlos alazraki uh, I think in Spyro 2, was um, given the old heave ho. Apparently, because I th- this is circum uh, not circumstantial. This is I don't know if this is well sourced or not, but I've seen it said that players didn't particularly like the brashness of Spyro, um, in the first game, and so they tried to soften him up.
1: Yeah, he's he's more approachable in the second one, definitely. I, I the, the maybe should uh, ma- mention this now that the first one I. I can see... It's good, and I really enjoy playing it. But the second one, for me, just improves in every single way possible. And yeah. ha- having having bought the Reignited Trilogy when it came out three years ago on Switch, I've played most of the second one, the majority of the third one, I haven't touched the first one yet, because I don't have as good a relationship with it. It is a good yep. game, and I'm looking forward to playing it tonight, but I, I don't have as fond memories of it and partly because i was a similar situation to you i had a friend who had the first one and i played it at her house a lot i actually remember playing it um new year's eve we went over as a family went over to to this friend's house for the day uh, because my parents got with her parents and she had a younger sister who was friends with my brother and we just sat and played on spyro for probably about eight hours solid Uh, and and uh had a really. I remember getting to uh, Jacques is the the the, the end of uh, the boss at the end of the third world, and we got that far. And I just remember having a great time. And then that's that. So so I, I I never actually physically owned it, but then when the second one came out, I, I bought mm. that because of how how much I enjoyed the first one and the second one. I mean that that's made part of it as well because I actually had a copy myself. But yeah,
0: yeah. I I think I I completely agree with you. I think that Spyro uh, set the mold, and then Spyro Two surpassed it quite considerably i never owned any of the games and my friend that i played spyro with didn't own spyro 2 i only ended up playing spyro 2 in passing really um with another friend as a teenager who he was the friend that his stepdad had uh, a cd rewriter and a blockbuster card and the fun we had um (laughs) included spyro 2 um yeah so Voiced by Carlos Alazraki, who also did uh, Crash Bandicoot, taken over by Tom Kenny for Spyro 2, and that was part of their drive to make him a more likable character. Tom Kenny voiced Spongebob. I was, He's I was, the original voice for for Spongebob.
1: I was nodding because I was thinking, I know that name, I know that name, but if I nod politely,
0: there we go. Yep. Incidentally, or maybe not incidentally, a lot of the dragons that aren't Spyro in the first game, are voiced by a man called Clancy Brown. Really? Clancy Clancy Brown? Brown, Seriously? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know who Clancy Brown is. He's he's great.
0: Mr. Krabs. He voices Mr. Krabs. I mean, he might well voice other people. I wasn't expecting that response, but he voices Mr. Krabs, uh, who is also uh, obviously a SpongeBob character. So there are like these interlinking... um, things yeah, across so the game and
1: and spongebob clancy brown was um he was um he was in lost I, I, when, when lost was out i was massively obsessed with lost he was in the second series finale of lost as, as a quite a shady character and then he also he was in the the reboot um possibly however you want to call it series of dexter that aired last year he was the, the big bad guy in that and he was really good in that was he
0: yeah oh wait to spoil that i'm on episode six.
1: Oh come Cheers.
0: on <laughs> no not really i'm not i'm not that bothered about spoilers as you well now yeah I, um, yeah he's
1: he's he's really good he pops up he's one of those faces where he he has minor parts in lots of things and he, he's always always good value for money i did not know he popped up in this that's 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 cool. did you
0: know that he was mr krabs because i, I didn't I, I, know his name offhand and i knew I, I know, obviously mr krabs was the thing that i stuck to Sp- 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 spongebob's
1: never really been um something i've been that into i, I think um no i was a bit it's a bit old for it when it first started but uh
0: That's fair. I mean, I did buy the SpongeBob SquarePants movie uh, for my hangover day after my 18th birthday. It was one of, uh, I think it was like five films for 30 quid in HMV. And I went and bought five films for for that uh, in preparation for staying in bed all day the following day.
1: And, you know, I I, I do. I have always loved cartoons. I went to see the Powerpuff Girls movie at the age of uh, 16 and had no show about it. at all. just SpongeBob, just that, that brand of whimsy just never particularly appealed to me.
0: Okay, that's fine. Uh, the voice of Spyro hit a peak. Do you know what the peak was? Obviously not with Spyro One or Two. I I don't know the game this happened in, but I remember it happening. It's a peak. Yeah. No. He was voiced by Elijah Wood.
1: Yes, I did know that. I was yeah. I was I was thinking. Um, I had Jake Gyllenhaal in my head, but um, I I wasn't. I knew it was it was yeah because um they did. I've I've been josting down some notes where you've been talking about stuff as mm. facts and they, they did a um a bit like you've said about the second one, that how they softened him. On the PlayStation 2, there were there was a trilogy, I think, of games where they made it a bit that more mature and edgy. edgy. And I think that was they were the ones that Elijah Wood voiced him in. Yes. Which would have been Tell post- Lord of the Rings as well, so that would have been a massive
0: coup. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the voice acting uh, rabbit holes, as you've termed uh, for something else, the voice acting rabbit holes for these games are deep, and there's lots of other things. David Spade voice sparks Did he? Dragonfly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a- along with other people. I know, yeah, it's insane. Um, but I wasn't even going to mention that, uh, but... It's just very deep and it's never ending. So we'll wow. we'll save some for Spyro 2 and Spyro because okay, okay. they will be coming up. Having said that, though, I'm going to hit you with another little um another little bomb because something that I wasn't aware of, you probably were. To be honest, Stuart Copeland yeah. did the music for the game yeah and um yeah I didn't know that Stuart Copeland uh, drummer was Dr- for the drummer police? of the police. Yeah so he made the music he he did the soundtrack for this game he is apparently pretty damn proud of the work that he did for this he went on to of all things work on the Amanda show for Nickelodeon and actually the Wizard's Peak music is used as the end credits the, cre- the, the yeah the ending credits for the Amanda show.
1: That's a really good fact also that level sucks carry on.
0: Oh, I quite like the Wizard's Peak, but uh, the other thing that uh, happened—the you—you mentioned Jake's or Jack's, the boss. Uh, Jack, yeah, the other on uh, levels. Yeah, yep. because
1: I only remember that because my my friend kept calling, calling it uh, Jack Jacques, Jacques or something. I I was I was um, I re- I remember thinking oh, I'm not sure that's correct. That there you go. So so the reason I remember that is because I was being pedantic. There you go.
0: Yeah, uh, Jake's is the. Um, is the shakespearean so here we go for pedantry and pomposity uh, <laughs> jakes there's a character i can't remember which one it might be as you like it but there's a character in shakespeare called j-a-c-q-u-e-s and you think you'd think it was Jacques, but it's pronounced jakes uh, okay so i've never really un- known how to pronounce it in this context um so i sort of went Uh, I split the difference and went Jake's and Jack's uh, in different different moments. But anyway, the music for that level is used, it, it appears, sorry, it appears on Stuart Copeland's anthology album. So it's basically his greatest hits and it's music that he chose to be on there. It wasn't uh, it wasn't collated or collected together by a, a studio trying to cash in. Stuart Copeland actually had involvement in choosing the the things that went on it and this made the cut. That's so, very cool.
1: Oh, the, the music yeah, I is, I is so. good.
0: It is fantastic. That's yeah. what I was gonna say. Um he played through every level multiple times. Uh, before he wrote any of the pieces and he worked to very tight deadlines which makes it all the more incredible he was working apparently at a rate of three songs a day wow he would spend a day creating the three songs and then he would spend the following day refining and finishing up each of those three songs so he'd spend two days working on three songs um which is pretty speedy yeah, because e- each and level come out this way.
1: has a different piece of music. And there's if you include levels, hub worlds, yeah, there's, there's a lot of separate pieces of there music. absolutely is. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Controls, what would you say?
1: Um, square to dash, circle to blow oh, fire. I don't is that what mean you mean?
0: The te- I don't mean the, the facts of it. <laughs> I mean, what's your opinion? Love or loathe? Or something in between?
1: Uh, I, I don't know what you mean. Like the, hand, oh that, that, the handling of him.
0: Yeah how oh, how does this... this game control? Is it good? Or is it bad? Fine, brilliant. Thanks. Ruin ruin the segue. It's fine. Let's get all. Let's get back into it. The controls, as far as I'm concerned, I should have just led with this. The controls, as far as I'm concerned, are are really really good, really well uh, designed, and I just really like the way that he runs, especially when he's dashing, and charging. Arc, yeah, there's this arc when you jump. Yeah. Where he puts his head down and it it sort of he goes up, but then he comes down quite fast. And mm. that feels really satisfying. It's just really well um sort of um it's really well considered. And I found out that one of the reasons that I as far as I'm concerned, the controls are so good, is because a man called Matt Whiting was um was brought on board to deal with the controls both flying and running and, and so forth, and also the camera. Matt Whiting is a former NASA rocket scientist who worked on the flight control systems for NASA's space shuttles. Madness. And he was given the job of smoothing out the camera control and the uh, and the the movement how, of how
1: Spyro. How on earth did his career trajectory go from working for NASA to, to this?
0: Well, who was it we were talking about a few weeks ago? It was the guy from
1: did... Abe's Odyssey.
0: Yeah, so Abe's Odyssey. He he was. What is he doing? He was doing aviation of some kind. He some was kind of engineering, working
1: on software for NASA.
0: Yeah, so I think. I mean, let's, I just, let's... for,
1: for, for there to be two people that have had a, a similar career path over the you know the last Absolutely. few episodes, both PlayStation yeah. games, as well, is is quite remarkable as well
0: i kind of think it's a bit of a a bit more of a straight line than maybe you'd expect or or maybe than you're suggesting in so much as there's probably a lot of um overlap between people who were playing games in the 70s and the 80s Mm. who then went on to have careers in science and also uh an interest in in video games so the there's probably a lot of crossover a lot of leaping back and forth between those two obviously maths is a great Mm. big part of video games as well and to be that kind of scientist in in a field as demanding as that probably necessitates a a good level of of maths and uh coding experience for a start Uh, among other things i think there's probably a lot of overlap but yeah i thought it was uh, amazing Mm. and and strange and brilliant all at the same time so last bit last bit uh for this half japan so Japan got Spyro, but they got a Spyro that I don't think necessarily resembled the one that we got. We've mentioned already that Spyro had to change between Spyro 1 and Spyro 2 in the West. That change will not have been very pronounced for Japanese players because the Japanese version of Spyro was a much softer, mellow character. He wasn't given the edge that that the West was given in Japan, like he... He was always soft. He was always friendly and approachable. Um, so, do they take out cutscenes, or do they change
1: the cutscenes completely?
0: Well, obviously, you had you had different voice actors because different languages. Mm. The Japanese voice actor was female, and oh. so his voice was already higher. Um, and her delivery will have taken into account the character dynamic that they were going for. Yeah, uh, it was just it was just considered that the character wouldn't fly to excuse please excuse the pun uh, in Japan in the way that they wanted to render him in uh, in Western countries uh, the game itself actually ran slower than the Western version of the game and again no idea why I don't even think how strange the general public know why but the apparently the the run the sprint the charge in Japan was as fast as Spyro's walk. In the Western release. Quite slow. Super slow, yeah. However, there was a director's cut of Spyro for Japan. And one of the options that you could unlock in that was a full speed or a Western speed Spyro. However, in order to do that, you had to have a 100% save on Spyro to, to do it. So the director's cut, you had to finish it slow in order to be able to do it fast, which seemed a bit unreasonable. Yeah. Sparks. So I haven't really mentioned Sparks other than the fact that David Spade voiced him at some point. But Sparks was your health meter, basically. In yes. The, in the Western release, he would go from gold to blue to green. No, uh, blue, green to blue. Yeah. To so. disappearing. The, yeah. So you had this. You had this gradation of of health, and I thought it was a pretty cool way. Yeah. Of, so yeah, it was very clever. And,
1: um, and also because he, he hovered behind uh, Spira, the the gems are the currency, like, that like the rings in Sonic. They're the things you're collecting in each level, and he would zip and collect them as you went a bit closer so it removed a bit of player physically having to cross over each gem because sparks would get them for
0: you yeah i vaguely remember as well he used to eat
1: you've you flamed the sheep there's little animals in each level like sheep or frogs or whatever animal and you flame them and every so often they'll release a butterfly and he eats the butterfly and that's the thing that gets your health back up so if he's on green because you've lost a hit that's point it, you flame the sheep Forgot and then a butterfly that. will appear
0: Lovely. Thank you for filling in the gaps there. So Sparks worked quite differently in Japan. He didn't change colour. He just uh, dimmed and glowed. So, yeah, a lot less easy to pass, I think, as a player. There was a very clear reason for this. In Japan, there was a peripheral for the PlayStation called the Pocket Station, which you may well have seen. It was was like the Dreamcast VMU. And uh, it it would interact with games in various different ways. The way this was integrated into Spyro in Japan, but obviously we didn't have it. It was no there was no Pocket Station release in the UK, as far as I know. Anyway,
1: there, I remember some games having stuff to do with it, but I think you guys
0: think it was just Japan. But I, I'm yeah. prepared to be uh, told I'm wrong with that. Carry on. Spyro had connectivity with the Pocket Station, and one of the things that it unlocked were thirty dragonfly eggs in the actual game. So you could find these green eggs in in um, in the levels and when you collected them it would unlock an equipable dragonfly right. so it wasn't just sparks that was the dragonfly of of the game there were 30 of them and they all behaved in different ways the clearest example of that would have been that some dragonflies allowed you to have more health than other dragonflies. So so Sparks had the standard amount of health. Another dragonfly that a Japanese player might collect would have allowed him to have extra hit points wow. before he dies. Th- um, there 30 were 30 of them. of
1: them. That's a lot to remember, isn't it? So th- this one Absolutely. does this, this one does this.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know whether... Because of the colour thing, I think maybe they were represented by different colours and therefore having sparks change colour in order to yeah, represent sense. health wouldn't have worked. So they went for this glowing and dimming thing to represent each grade of of health. Wouldn't have worked as far as I can tell as well. It might be worth looking into it. The last fact, the last fact before we play, um, and before I give the op- opportunity to tack anything on that you maybe want to, um, a slightly odd one actually... um. In the US, Spyro 2 had a different name. We got Gateway to Glimmer. Do you know what the US version was? Um, it's it's all one of those ones where
1: you can a me, I'll go, yeah, yeah, it's
0: that. Yep, it's Ripto's Rage. Ripto's, yes. So Ripto's Rage is actually uh, based on the Japanese word for Spyro. Because when you render Spyro in Hiragana... You get a version of Spyro that when you look at it with our eyes, you might well see the word ripto. So um, I'm going to send you it so you can see what I mean. The
1: bad bad guy in Spyro 2 is called Ripto because that's the Japanese back to English version of of Spyro.
0: No, 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 that's not correct. No. I'm going to show you the picture. Okay. That's that's the easiest way to do it. it. So, what you're looking at now,
1: yep. Oh, is I see what you mean.
0: Spyro written in hiragana, which is one of the three Japanese yep. alphabets. Obviously, if you look at that with English in mind, you see an R, and I, a P, M, um, yep. and an O. And the developers liked that so much that they took it and ran with it and, and made the bad guy Ripto. Inspirative, and that's all I've got for you today. uh it, We're on fifty minutes, though, so it's probably a yeah. good job. We're going to have to wrap up uh, the second half nice and quickly. I think. Yep, well, I've got. Are you ready to play? I hope you are. Yeah, I, I, I really, really am. Yes, let's go.
1: What a delight that was what an absolute pleasure.
0: That was exactly so. You normally do like a silly or funny, D- do know what you mean, uh, entry into the second half. And I was just gearing up to just give a very straightforward that what you've just said. I'm quite surprised you've done that. Well, it but... was, it, it
1: was, I was, I, I, I really enjoyed that. I was pleasantly surprised because I knew it was going to be good. As I said in the first half, because I think the second improves in it in so many ways, and the third one is even better than that. And mm. the first one is one that has been, in my recollection, dulled somewhat because of those experiences and positive uh, times with the second and third one. Uh, I, I wasn't sure how this would be, but it, it it's, it's great. It's really, really good.
0: Yeah, it is. So one of the things that off mic I sort of laid out to you was that, When it comes to comparisons between sequels, I think for me, the thing that I always come to is Assassin's Creed because Assassin's Creed, when I played Assassin's Creed uh, on the initial release, I enjoyed it for a good amount of time. I thought it was fresh and, and new and interesting and innovative and an enjoyable idea and story. But over the period of the entire game actually becomes a little bit repetitive and a bit boring and um, doesn't really stand on its own two feet. Mm -hmm. The Assassin's Creed franchise, um, for all its ups and downs, I think has done some great stuff. And Assassin's Creed 2 is, uh, and everything that came as part of Assassin's Creed 2 is far, far better than Assassin's Creed. And that's kind of where you were with Spyro and Spyro 2. You were saying Spyro 2, absolutely fab. Um, Spyro, just not so good. But actually, when you think about it in comparison to Assassin's Creed, or even just, you don't even need the comparison, but because I think Spyro can stand on its own two feet in a way that when I think of Assassin's Creed, it just doesn't. Spyro is a wonderful wonderful package that i enjoy immensely for its own sake not because it leads to something better or yeah or, or anything i just think it's so and, well done
1: and that was exactly how i remembered it being that it was it was fine but the second one did everything so much better whereas it, it is it, it's a great game like you could play this one or anyone could play this one not have experience of second or third one and or any subsequent ones, I guess. And this, they, they would, they would, I'm sure, really enjoy
0: it. Yeah, and uh, that's yeah. So like, there's a discourse, isn't there? The, the discourse they say that, don't they? The the people these they days. do the people the and
1: people on, on the uh, internet.
0: Every game has its story, like. It's story around the game, the things that people think. And I say these things all the time, like, oh, it's critically well received, but publicly maligned and so on. There's there's this consensus of thought around games. And the consensus is that the early Spyro's this trilogy was a it was a really good set of games. That Spyro 2's not uh Spyro 2 and 3 are better than Spyro. I think that you could play Spyro, enter that discourse, and have exactly the same feelings about this series that everybody else has because of how good spyro is so you'd be mm-hmm. saying exactly the same things that everyone else is saying you'd be talking about it in glowing terms in the same way that other people are having only experienced this one game that that is how good it is i don't i just don't think that i think the only way to have anything The only way to sort of have negative feelings about the game is maybe to come at it backwards and and start with two and three and come back to to Spyro, perhaps. But even then, I I wonder whether I would because I just think they lay it all out here. Controlling Spyro is one of the most enjoyable experiences in gaming. Like, it really is that good. And I was thinking running around.
1: That was the thing Life. he tried to team me up to in, in the first half, and and yeah, he is—he's—he's a, he's a pleasure to, to control. It's so smooth and intuitive, and um, but there's, like, there's little things I noticed that that show character in his movement. So w- when he jumps, he sort of stretches his neck a bit, and there's like a bit of a bounce as he goes up. And my, my very first note I made was was lollop because as as he just walks at normal speed, the way he, he gambles across, like oh. it's just it, it looks it looks really good like when you glide I, i've never picked up on it before i've not really been looking in that lot of detail but when you glide his, his little tail waggles from side to side yeah. just sort of tr- try and negotiate through the air it, it looks so nice
0: these are all little details little, little extras that it, don't
1: need to be there but yeah. they are and they just go such a long way
0: they they make Spyro they really make Spyro it's character through and through it's all it's everywhere exudes it and I mean it's not just Spyro but Spyro is obviously the standout his facial expressions when he's talking to the dragons you can say what you like about his edgy persona but actually the way that he's animated is so so good so full of quality and the edgy persona I
1: I feel is more it's a bit like Sonic like it it feels a bit brash and like it it didn't he didn't irritate me it just, mm. it, it, it feels a bit jarring because the rest yeah. of the world's quite cuddly and, and soft. And mm. it, like you said, coming back to it from the second and third ones, perhaps. Yeah, I I feel like they're, they're trying to go for the, the Sonic aspect with that, trying to make him have chewed.
0: Yeah, exactly. They they were sort of trying to align themselves with the PlayStation brand whilst mm-hmm. at the same time bringing this family atmosphere to the PlayStation brand Is is how I sort of see that. Yeah. aspect of Spyro um, and it's completely it is completely unnecessary I suppose if anything l- as they realized going into Spyro 2 maybe that's the only negative but even that isn't really that big a rub I just it's so non-invasive uh, yeah because he, he
1: uh, in my memory I thought every dragon that you unlock I, I thought he had a, a dialogue with them and more often than not it's just you unlock the dragon and the dragon says the something dragon to you, and, and that's it yeah. so actually on, Spyro on, was a character as a a, a brattish type character doesn't come through very much at all
0: no i and again maybe and maybe again you could say hmm, maybe that's a thing that's a negative in in that maybe spyro's character isn't on show as much as it should be or they don't build it as much as they should be i think it's
1: there as much as it needs to be
0: it's there in as we've uh, tried to lay out it's there in the gestures and the movements and and everything else as much as it is in his actual dialogue and the things that he says um so yeah it's being laid out in in non-verbal ways
1: i mentioned there as well we, we didn't talk about the plot in the, in the first half and that was another really nice surprise was the the intro cut scene was probably 30 seconds long maximum and and the plot is there's a bad guy called nasty Nork. he's turned all the dragons in this area in the dragon realm i think it's called into statues spyro dodges because he's so short and then your quest is to turn them all back into dragons by by touching the pedestal they're on and it turns it back into dragons and each of these dragons voiced by clancy brown putting on a different voice for each one to give them character but they've all they've all got different designs you know some are taller some are shorter some are, are fatter some are thinner some you know the different colors they've all got a name and and they've all got the the, the dialogue they say it's all got a different flavor to it he's as i say he's put different voices on so that makes the world feel living breathing as well
0: yep the storytelling i think is sparing but uh gladly so like i i appreciate that it's it's mario style storytelling like it it, it's um it's not exactly deep but it's also delivered in a punchy way you're into the game here's a quest do it exactly yeah so yeah it, it Takes no time. And that, actually, in a period... I know there's an irony in having spent nearly 50 minutes talking about about Spyro to then complain that other games were taking their time over their introductions. Like, it wasn't unheard of to spend a good 10 minutes watching a, an introductory cutscene for a game on the PlayStation or something along those lines, you know? Like, they just wanted to take their time. They were trying cinematic storytelling.
1: Yeah, like Apes Odyssey, we talked about a few weeks ago, that had a, a really yeah. long cut introduction, which was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it, it stands at stark contrast with this.
0: Absolutely. The economy of storytelling in Spyro, they tell enough story to get you invested in the adventure and then you're off. You're off yeah. into the adventure. It's... it's um, super economical and super appreciated
1: it's what's that what's that phrase for the stories you know what's he doing there then isn't it You know, have you heard that no it's like it's like one of those you know those there's those story tropes that it's it's a stranger walks into town and boy meets, yeah. meets a girl it's one, i think it's one of those i might have maybe add that from somewhere else but, but this story you is mean
0: the seven types of story type yeah
1: and I and think. this this mm. story is what's he doing there then is huh. he's rescuing dragons his, his friends
0: oh right okay i've never heard it put that way there's a really good, just as an aside, there's a really good sort of laying out of the story arcs by a man called Kurt Vonnegut who wrote novels. Mm. still 5. He does a really punchy version of the archetypal stories. There you go, Kurt
1: Vonnegut reference in the
0: in episode about Sparrow the Dragon Who it.
1: Another thing that really impressed me is how, we, we said the story's punchy, but the actual gameplay itself is really punchy. So the, the game is structured around, you've got, I looked on the internet to find out how many there were in total. So there are five hub worlds, and the hub world itself is a level. It's not empty. Yeah. There are enemies. There are gems to find. From each hub, there are three levels. There is a speedway, or they're called flights in this one, which are where Sparrow is flying the whole time, as opposed to gliding. It's like a, a race type challenge, and then there's a boss. So in total, that's six kind of levels, and there's five of them. Five collections of these, and. What really impressed me is, is firstly in each level, how, how short they were. They were really concise, really well structured and tight. So we breezed through them really quickly. And, and oh. that wasn't a criticism at all. It just that none of them outstayed their welcome. But the structure of the game is that the, the boss, the first boss of the game you had to unlock after... I, I, well, I, I don't know what the criteria was because basically I did a level and then went and tried the boss and I could go straight into it. Like it wasn't gated off. Like there are some games of this era and later where you'd have to do complete all levels, perhaps even to 100%, 100% completion in order to get to the boss this wasn't that at all and yeah. then the it's the a really warp, open structure which com- is com- completely and then the warp to the second hub world you could get after getting 10 dragons and there were i think three or four within the first hub world so you could just dip in out of the levels collect 10 dragons and then you get straight to the second one and the second hub world i noticed the boss you could even get to him straight away so yeah. i really like um too long didn't read the structure of it is so open it, it's a really welcome change
0: it absolutely is and happens fairly early on you don't think of games with open structures like this until several years later as as a standard but yeah Spyro was in the agenda in 1998 so yeah very much appreciated uh the game I the game overall so I found myself thinking and, and this ties everything together I think because the game that was delivered in 1998 actually feels like the game that they re-delivered in two thousand, was it? I don't know when it was. Two thousand and eighteen, when the Re, reignited trilogy released. I think yeah, it was around I think there. so. So it all of everything was laid down by the original. They didn't really have to do much polishing up to arrive where they arrived although i i'm very aware of of the amount of work that went into the reignited trilogy they had to build the whole thing from the ground up because they didn't have the source code didn't have access to the source code and they they did a, a number of amazing tricks to be able to get there but i think i'll save those uh stories for spyro 2 or 3 Good um, because because we're running a, a, a bit long but yeah like you've said about you said about the characterful animations that happen all over the place when you're even in just your movements and your gestures um they're all there they're the sorts of things that you would think oh maybe they they're the thing they're they're additions to polish up the the remaster but no they're there the the really well designed controls they're there although you are using the d-pad here not the uh
1: yeah, slight but niggle. That was being fine. Forced to use I don't think that's a but niggle. It's it, it 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 felt a bit not backwards is probably the wrong word, but to, to be forced to use a bit it alien to go back. Yeah, to possibly because I know Sparrow Two was uh, did use the analog sticks. It did, um, but you know, fine.
0: I don't. It's not even fine. I think that there was a precision in his movement that you know to get that on a D-pad was uh, really well accomplished. So. Yeah, um, but everything there. Everything is there. Everything is already there. um the, also, re- the, reignited the, the music. just needed to do a bunch of textures. And and I don't mean that in a flippant way. I just mean, you know, it, it's like trying to perfect perfection. It really did feel that way. Like, mm. it's such such a good package already.
1: Yeah, we, we've very mentioned the music, the, the Stuart Klebs and stuff. Like, the music oh, yeah. is, is, is really, really good. Mm.
0: Yeah, very rich.
1: Yeah, there was a, 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 the, the first boss, um, the music reached a swell, which seemed to coincide with actually defeating the boss. I thought it was reacting to the boss, but I don't think it quite I think it was a coincidence. But it felt it was it it happened at su- such a, a nice point. It was it was great.
0: Yeah, so Stuart Copeland actually has commented on that because um they I think it was a de- it was an intention or a desire to create reactive music that would respond to things that happen in the game, which in the 90s was probably quite a big deal and would have been quite innovative. Okay. And so it is something that happens now, but um, they weren't able to do it. And I think Stuart Copeland said something along the lines of it wouldn't really matter anyway, because you'd get these coincidental moments where the music does seem to correspond to what's happening in the game. And that will that will happen more often enough to make the player feel that there's some reactivity to the, to the soundtrack. So wow. um, he was aware of that, which is interesting.
1: Um, last thing before we sort of wrap up then was um, we, we talked a bit in the first, well, quite a first half about the whole LOD thing. And it was, it was really uh, good to see in the game, how that was realized that there, there was um w- when you went up really high, what, one of the things the game was trying to do was trying to encourage you to explore, trying to use the, the gliding ability and there would be, When you get up high, you might be able to see something in the distance glowing. And Ashley said that what they did with the gems, the collectibles, is they added this glow so that no matter where you were in the level when you were high up, even though the gem itself hadn't been loaded in, the glow was there. So you were given a bit of a clue as to something. And, and i just really enjoyed that exploring just kind of get getting up somewhere and or, or sort of seeing a platform with some gems i can't jump up to it and then thinking okay how do i get to that right let's find somewhere high can i reach it from by gliding yes i can and just the way the game gave you the tools but didn't step by step tell you how to do these things i thought was a very mature gameplay uh, not gameplay a very mature Um, design choice as well
0: yeah I don't know that we ended up where I thought we were going to end up there because you started talking about levels of detail and then kind of veered off but that's I I did yeah to to come back to levels of detail one of the things that I did enjoy was actually seeing how well implemented that was because there was um there were a number of I mean there was a lot of popping like there were there were times where I was seeing things like a wall in the in the distance would just pop into view when um I got to a certain point But also, this is the first time that they've uh, tried to implement levels levels of detail uh, on the PlayStation. So, you know, forgivability in that, I I think. There were also some really amazing moments. And I don't mean like spectacular. uh, A player that's not looking for it would notice this sort of thing, but just really well judged uses of levels of detail so I was I one particular one was a chest I was moving towards this chest from a distance and instead of it just popping in from one level of detail to the next which is what I was expecting there was a very gradual gradient change in the in the two levels of detail almost like it was being faded in and faded out so one level of detail was faded out and and the higher level of detail was faded in and I didn't expect that. I expected a, a harsh sort of cut off, level of detail. low level of details disappeared, high level of details reappeared, yeah. uh, c- come into view. It wasn't like that at all. And I, I thought that it was very well done.
1: So we're not going to waffle on too much about the Spyro 2 and Spyro 3 because they will crop up in a future episode. And I, I didn't play any subsequent Spyro games on the PlayStation 2, but I did play, there are a few on the... Uh, Game Boy Advance, which is interesting in and of itself, the fact that Spyro was a Sony PlayStation mascot and then ended up on Nintendo consoles. But Mm. there there were a couple on the Game Boy Advance called Season of Ice and Season of Flame. And then there were also um, on the Game Boy Advance, Crash Purple and Spyro Orange, which were crossover games. So I think Crash ended up in Spyro levels and Spyro went into Crash levels so that the, the two different gameplay styles but with those characters within them um hmm. which I, I've heard I've never tried them but I think is an interesting experiment just to mention especially as you mentioned in the first half the fact that the guy who designed that it's the same person who designed both Crash and Spyro and also voiced them yeah Insomniac as well just as a perhaps an aside went on to do the that the, the first games they did after the Spyro trilogy was Ratchet and Clank on the PlayStation 2 and I absolutely adored the Ratchet and Clank games as well. Uh, the The first trilogy of that follows a similar pattern to Spyro. And the first one, pretty good, sets the groundwork. And then the second one just completely blew that out of the water as well. So so I'm looking forward to revisiting that on a future episode as well.
0: Incidentally, one of the things I didn't mention was that, um, because it's, it's more related to, I think, Spyro 3, but there is a boss or baddie encounter in Spyro 3, which people believe Ratchet and Clank are based on um because it's a big a big yellow guy with a hat like a metal hat on and then he's got a robot buddy and I it's almost like that. a prototypical ratchet and clank so yeah that'll be it's something to look out for is that, that's mm. in
1: the third one because the third is one of the ones I've, I've i've not quite finished it but i'm not far off in the reignited trilogy. I,
0: um, yeah i think it's the third one but it you know it could be the second one I don't it remember. makes sense yeah,
1: and, and that seems like a good place to finish there, mentioning, again, the Reignited Trilogy, because, you know, as you can tell, it's a long episode. We've done nothing but say how amazing this game is. If you are interested, the Reunited Trilogy would obviously be the, the place to go to because it's available on all the, the current consoles. It's one of those games that's often on sale. I think you can Very regularly affordable. get it for between probably 15 to £20, pounds and it, it's well worth it, absolutely well worth so it.
0: So good, yeah. You wouldn't go wrong playing it in the original PlayStation form, but the Reignited Trilogy is easy to get hold of and uh, very, very nice looking. And the same game. So they haven't yep. meddled at all.
1: Well, what a great episode. What a, that was, that was a, a good way to rescue us after Solitaire last week. Good call, Ashley. And then uh, next week we're starting our Christmas episodes because we're in December. Is it really? Yeah.
0: Goodness me. Goodness the, what, me. The 1st of December. Oh, my God okay yeah. right cool so gift guide that's the one i haven't got a clue what i'm gonna include on that so we'll have to get thinking cool <laughs> so our, um, our
1: next episode will be our, our games gift five for gift guide sorry for 2022 um obviously between now and then if you would like to come and join us on social media we're on facebook instagram and youtube um at the time of recording who knows what's happening with twitter we might still be on there we might not be and if barely, you could
0: <laughs> barely on there already so
1: <laughs> and if you could share like rate review subscribe something else probably uh we'd be very very
0: grateful yes please thank you for staying till the end although i don't blame you because i think this is probably a good episode thanks all the same have a good week and we'll see you next week bye farewell